The game of basketball has taken us places we can never imagine. For winning four EuroLeague titles, playing six years in five countries, and making connections with people from all around the world. We have stories that can last a lifetime. All right, now it's time to tell yours. When I met Michael Jordan for the first time, and still to this day, if I see him, he's he's glowing. It just came down to, like I said, looking myself in the mirror, like, brother, you really do you want to play ball or not? I've never been in an environment like Euroleague, because you know, living over here in Europe, bro, how we kings over this time, bro. Denver Thuggets. Appreciate y'all having us on here. This is Hoop Tales. Welcome back to the Hoop Tales podcast. Today we have hands down one of the best guards in European basketball, a French league champion, a Ukrainian Super League champion, a German league champion, first team all Euro Cup, first team all Euro League, and a finals MVP. His resume speaks for itself. My guy, repping Baltimore, Maryland, Malcolm Delaney. Malcolm, what's up, bro? What up, what up, what up? First off, man, uh, you know, we were just kind of talking about it a little bit. Um, you know, kind of talk about, um, you know, the situation with COVID-19 and, you know, how mm -hmm. it's affecting you. Um, and then also, you know, kind of how, like, you know, how you trying to stay in shape and how you're trying to stay busy. I know you, you just got the new house. So I know, I'm mm -hmm. sure you got a lot of, you know, a lot of different things you're kind of doing around, the, you know, around the crib. But. You no, know, first of all, talk about that. Yeah, so, I mean, when we first heard about it, um, you know, I think with, I know I can speak uh, specifically on Barcelona. Like, yeah. everybody was pretty much uh, misinformed about it. So, yeah, definitely. you know, it went from literally everything happened in like two or three days. And I remember we played y'all, and I was talking yeah. about it. Yeah. And I told Mike, I said, yo, like, you know, there's a lot going on, um, you know, with the team. I'm like, bro, this – this could be something, you know what I'm saying, that, that put a halt to a season. And literally, like, three, four days later, uh, we had a team meeting, and they pushed the, the game back, I think, two weeks. But just doing research on everything, like, I knew it was going to be, you know, a long time looking at China, you know, the basketball in China. I, I figured that it would take a while. So I literally was the only person asking questions about, yes. like, uh, long-term long -term stuff. Everybody else was talking two weeks. You know what I'm saying? The team was telling us, stay in the house for four days and we'll see if anybody got it. Like, they had no clue about nothing going on. So I, I didn't really trust it from the start. So I had already planned on leaving. Like, mm -hmm. you know, once we heard about it, I seen what happened in China. I was like, look, I'm the only person over here single. You know what I'm saying? I don't have my family over here. Luckily, this happened around my birthday. So my chef was there and I had, you know, a couple people there for my birthday. But, uh, I had some other people that were from Peru and they had a state of emergency before all of us. Yeah. So they had to get back to their country or they would have been stuck in Barcelona for 90 days. So they had to leave. And then with me and chef, we waited it out about eight to 10 days. And then once uh, the U S issued that level four, uh, for that travel advisory about, you know, all Americans need to get back home. You know what I'm saying? Like once that got real, you know, I called the team, Asked them, you know what I'm saying, was it possible that I could leave? Uh, they told me if everybody on the team agreed to it that it was fine because of my situation, you know, being by myself. And then they basically reneged on that. So they came back and said, all right, well, 
if uh, if we let you go, then maybe Nico might want to go. Corey, I was like, look, bro, I, like they have their families. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. in a different situation, so you know whatever they want to do is on them. But I'm speaking for myself at this point. You know, for my sanity and for my health. So they they basically reneged on it, and you know once that came out, I told them like I'm gonna have to make a tough decision. You know, I'm going home. So yeah. you know, we agreed to something or not because I can go home and work out. You know what I'm saying? I got a, a basketball court at my house. Uh, I'm building my gym now, so you know I had uh, access to different stuff. I could actually go outside. Like in Barcelona, we couldn't leave the apartment. So I'm like, would y'all rather me stay here for two months by myself or go home, you know what I'm saying, and stay in shape? So that's that whole situation happened. And, you know what I'm saying, Barcelona had to kind of cover for themselves. So they, you know, did a story in the media about – uh, well, it said I demanded my passport and all type of shit. But in reality, bro, like, I went and got my passport from the locker room with nobody in there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, don't, we don't keep our passports, bro. Like, it was in the locker room, and I went and got it. So, you know what I'm saying? It, was, it made a big story about it. And, you know what I'm saying? Ultimately, that was, you know, one of the reasons why I decided to do what I did. But, yeah, that, that corona thing, I just been home. Like you said, I have my trainer here, so he comes to the house. Uh, doing a lot of uh, work on my body. I had a couple of uh, small injuries that I had to, you know, tend to. And then uh, my basketball trainer's here this week, so we've been getting up a lot of shots and stuff. But, you know, ever since, you know, I decided not to go back, I kind of toned it down on the basketball side and yeah. focused more on my body. So that's that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, so I, I kind of did the similar. Like, I haven't I – honestly, because I'm from a small town, so, like, we only got, like, a few gyms, but all the gyms closed. So, like, literally, like, all I've really been doing just, like, just been, like, running and then, like, literally just, like, working on little things like my body and stuff like that because it's, like, mm-hmm. you really, really not, you really, really nothing else you really could do. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do too much. And, uh, and Atlanta was one of the first places to open up. So, we had access to a couple gyms, but it's, like, driving 45, 50 minutes, um, you know, to get in the gym, which is cool, and but it gets old. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, can just, I can just go out back. You know what I'm saying? The weather's been nice. I can get my shots up. But like I said, it's more mental, man, and just focusing on my body at this point. We can go right into uh, talking about the beginning, man. Talk about growing up in Baltimore, man, like what your childhood was like. Uh, so, well, I grew up with both my parents. Um, I got an older brother, four years older than me. So I kind of was born into sports. Like my father who, you know, my mother played volleyball. Um and so I grew up, my father was a big Jordan fan. So like everything in the house from what I remember was like, that That was the first thing I seen, Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, whether it was the shoes, my father had all the DVDs, it's, uh, videotape, the uh, DHS uh, videotape, set tape from Jordan IMAX. He had statues, he collected <laughs> cards. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I, I kind of, um, I kind of grew up right into it. My brother played basketball and football, um, and I started playing football first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so football was actually my favorite sport. Um, but as, as far as the, the sports, um, like I said, bro, I fell in love with it early. And then when I was younger, it was kind of like that AI wave. Like, you know, Jordan was out. And Iverson kind of, you know, when I was in like second and third grade, Iverson was the guy. So, you know, that's the the, the the player who made me start wearing braids, like headbands. Like, I've been wearing headbands since, like, third grade. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
that started out that started out with AI. So uh, you know, so I grew up in the city. Um, you know, my neighborhood was bad, but um, people respected my family so much that they kind of kept me away from everything. You know, all my like. I grew up with a lot of old, everybody was older than me. My, like my brother was four years, so everybody I hung around was his age. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I had a couple friends, you know, that I played sports with, but as far as my neighborhood, it was a lot of older guys. And like I said, they respected my family so much that, you know what I'm saying, I never sold drugs, you know what I'm saying? Like, like nobody in my family, I was around it, my friends did it. Um, you know, they. it's kind of like that lifestyle uh, in Baltimore City, but it was more for survival. And no matter what my friends did or what people around me did, they made sure like they, if they seen me even pick a drug up, they would have looked at me crazy. So, yeah. you know, that kind of set the tone early. And that's kind of why my path went the way it did. You know what I'm saying? Like I was kind of disciplined because I had the right people around me. You know, uh, as far as my family, they, they took care of everything I needed to, wasn't rich, but you know what I'm saying? They made it, they made it happen. Uh, and then sports was my, my outlet to everything. You know, I played base, baseball, football, and basketball, so I was always busy. Mm -hmm. School, you know, me being outside, either hooping, playing football, or going to practice. So, you know what I'm saying, growing up, that kind of uh, kept me on the right path. Um, you know, like I said, I got into, like, collecting shoes when I was younger, and that they used to bribe me, like, you know what I'm saying, I had to do good in school or, or whatever to get the new Jordans. So that was another <laughs> thing, you know what I'm saying? I wanted yeah. to have the Jordans. So school was my focus, you know what I'm saying? So I had the incentive. Yeah, that they gave me they gave me that incentive for, for the Jordans. So my parents were tricky but strategic with it. And uh you know what I'm saying, looking back at it, uh, you know what I'm saying, they probably couldn't really afford everything they was getting me, but uh I think it paid off because they invested you know, like I said, that, that strategy they did, um, that investment helped out over time. Now that I look back at it, I'm like, you know what I'm saying, they couldn't afford it, but yeah. back then it felt like, you know what I'm saying, I was getting everything I wanted. <laughs> and, you know what I'm saying, it matter, but, Yeah, bro, that, that, I think the incentives to, to different things, you know, kind of helped me out a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, so I was never in the streets. I was outside all the time. Like I said, I was around everything. I seen everything going on, but I wasn't, I wouldn't say dumb because like I said, people are products of their environment, but you yeah. know what I'm saying? I, I could have been one or two decisions away from, you know, getting locked up, you know what I'm saying? Maybe getting killed. Like I, you know what I'm saying? I've been in so many situations, but my, my mindset was always, you know what I'm saying? If I do this, what's going to happen with my career, even when I was right. young. Yeah. So, uh, Sports saved me, bro. Like when people say that, like it, it legitimately saved me. So I, you know, what I'm saying I can, I appreciate everything that, that sports has, has brought to my world. Talk about you know going into high school and your relationship with Danny Green. I know family means Dante, Dante Green. Dante. Dante. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said yeah. <laughs> relationship with Dante Green. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just the FOE movement. You know, when when did that come about? You know, family obviously means everything to you. Uh, yes. Talk about that. All right, so the I met Tay. It's crazy, bro. Um, so me and Dante played against each other. He because he started playing late. Mm -hmm. Like he would play in like small leagues, but he never played like on the circuit or anything. So when we were in eighth grade, is the first time I ever seen him play. He was like, he was already like six seven, 
So it's he crazy. just was like, that's crazy. He was like that, that big goofy, that big goofy dude. You know, like in Baltimore, we just got guards. We don't never yeah. have big. So when yeah. somebody comes six, seven, six, eight, everybody, you know what I'm saying, he get the attention. But he wasn't good. But uh, so eighth grade, we played against him, AAU. And then that next year, uh, we was going into high school. He was like, our coach was like, look, we're going to bring uh, Dante in. And anybody like from Baltimore, we got the toughest coach. Like, and he's, you can compare him to like a Serbian. Yeah. So, bro, our coach used to make us do push ups on the court, like mid game. Like, you trying to ball over, bro? It's a or somebody down there doing push ups. So, like, <laughs> wow. Everybody was here to play for him, bro. Like, and when I, before I went to that team, I used to laugh because, you know what I'm saying, all of us play AAU together, but, you know, in recreation basketball, we always on, like, we was on rivals. We was rivals yeah. as a team. So we used to laugh at them, like, bro, y'all doing push-ups, like, mid-game, and then I ended up playing with them. So uh, when he said he was going to bring Tay in, bro, we used to have practices, like, literally, we always practiced. We had an age group two, two years up from us. Mm-hmm. So we always practiced against them. We played. It was no fouls, no out of bounds, uh, literally no rules, bro. So we oh. had to always play basically up. We practiced against, uh, you know, 16, 17-year-olds with no fouls. So we used to really go at it. So when Tay came, you know what I'm saying, we was like, he was coming right into the fire. And ultimately, that's what, you know, where, what made him get better because he wasn't mm-hmm. tough at all, but mm-hmm. getting beat up every day. Once we started playing, bro, it was so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Tay, he came in the first year. Uh, it was our freshman year. I think that summer was 15 under AU. We made it to the Final Four, and we lost to D. Rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Final Four, we ended up placing third in Nationals. Um, and then that following summer after that, once we went Final Four, then that's when everybody started coming around. Nike, uh, Mello finally started his program. So, you know, we was under Team Mello. And, you know, that's when it kind of took off. Because Tay played JV his freshman year of high school, but I played varsity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just started to develop, man. Like, he was 6'9". Uh, we used to ISO everybody, bro. We made everybody play man-to-man. So, Literally, we would go full corners with Tate with the ball. They had a big man on them. Mm-hmm. Like, we would go full corners and ISO. We used to just ISO. Everybody used to come back to play. Yeah, bro, we had four guards and Tate. And he basically turned into a guard. So, um, you know, just as the years went on, bro, we got closer. And it was always kind of competition in our city. It was like, who better? You know, Malcolm or Dante. And once, you know, all the hype started coming, um, you know, Tate was bigger. So, of course, you know, everything gravitated towards him. But, you know what I'm saying, my numbers was always better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, people always wanted to put us against each other. Even even though we played together, went to the same school, like, we was best friends. You know, it was people on both sides, like, oh, he's getting this. You're not doing – you get more numbers, but he's bigger than you. You know what I'm saying, people on Tay's side, Malcolm's trying to do this. So, they tried to make, like, a, a rivalry with us inside of our team. Mm-hmm. But you know, like ultimately, um, you know, we, we just we stuck with it, man. And you know, seeing him, he committed to Syracuse first. We wanted to go to the same school. Um, mm-hmm. Syracuse didn't offer me. Uh, he committed to Syracuse because of Mello. 
you know, Mello, we all, Mello went to the same high school we went to before. He went to Oak Hill. And, like, Mello was everybody's idol when we were in yeah. high school. So Tay was, that was, that was, like, Mello's guy. So he went to Syracuse. Um, I waited around, committed to Virginia Tech. And then our senior year, everything kind of was, was set in stone, man. We just wanted to win. We ended up winning our leagues together, uh, you know, both of us going off to school. He got drafted, but, you know, I'm his his kid's godfather. That's great. Um, you know, so that that's my guy, man. Like, that's that's one of my best friends. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've got a chance to know him, Tay, um, a good amount, um, you know, especially because, I mean, he's uh, he got drafted with my, my, one of my homeboys, Jason Thompson, and then just mm-hmm. as us knowing each other and being around each other, um, you know, it's just been, like I said, he's like one of the most humble, funniest dudes like ever man like he always <laughs> joking always got like something like crack jokes about but it's bro, crazy because he said you said like he's he's 6'10 so it's like you see this like <laughs> kind of like tall Tay, dude. Tay used to be in bro he used to be in talent shows like we was in high school bro because he think he can sing and dance bro like, <laughs> like imagine him bro like 6'10 in a talent show like legit singing bro him and i don't know if you know uh kim english yeah. He went to, yeah, him and Kimmy, bro, like they used to be in talent so singing together, bro. Like, and it was it was funny, bro, because like I mean, like you said, you know Tay, so you know like he always on like on some funny time, but like they used to legitimately be in talent shows, bro. Like <laughs> I can't imagine that, bro. <laughs> but nah, that that's Tay, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? One of the most talented guys I've ever been around. Um, you know, I think when he did go to sack. It wasn't the right situation for him yeah, because yeah, um, yeah. you know they had so many coaches. Like he was having too much fun in the league, and you know what I'm saying. Sacramento didn't want to win, so he didn't have that that staff to really yeah. you know lock him in. And then they, you know, their vets on that team wasn't that. You know what I'm saying. They weren't really helping him out. So, but that's where I learned everything from, bro. Watching him go through his process, um, the good and the bad with that. You know, I kind of put that was. I stored that into my mental. And, you know what I'm saying, while I was going through my stuff in college, uh, you know, once I started making money and I signed, you know, I already seen everything yeah, from her. Hey, with Melo, you know, everybody I knew that was older than me, um, you know, I, I seen it all. So kind of gave me an advantage going into my situation. You, you, you talked about a little bit about, um, you know, about Baltimore and about Baltimore basketball, about Melo, but like Baltimore – like Baltimore City, especially even Baltimore County, I got such a rich tradition in basketball. So, you know, from like Melo to Muggsy to you know, Juan Dixon to, you know, Dunbar High School, you know, they did the, dump, the 30 for 30. So, like, you know, what what separates, like, you know, Baltimore players? Like, you know, what kind of makes y'all, you know, you know who y'all are, I guess you can say. Um, and then, like, who, who who's your favorite? I mean, you already kind of mentioned it, you know, about Melo, but, like, who's your favorite mm-hmm. player to come out of Baltimore? I think the the main thing that when people talk about Baltimore, and like I said, mainly guards, but it's it's the toughness, man. Like mm. it's so hard to get out of our city because it's, it's like I said, everybody's really, and even with the county, you know, with they move everybody when they when they close the projects down, they tearing down the projects. Everybody moves to the county most of the mm. time. So I mean, at this point, most of the people that's from the, the city live in the county, or you know, what I'm saying it ain't like. Mm. It was always kind of like that rivalry, like if you live in the county, you suck. You know what I'm saying? If you don't live in the city, because it was two different worlds. Um, mm-hmm. When you grew up in the city, you had to see a lot of different things that wasn't going on in the county. But uh, it kind of shifted. 
and we didn't really respect county players. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? We played against a team from Baltimore County. We just felt like we was tougher than them. Mm-hmm. Um, we play AAUs. We go see some of these teams. You know what I'm saying? They got jerseys with the names on the back. Like, we really went at them because that was the stuff. You know what I'm saying? We had to stand on corners collecting, you know what I'm saying, collecting money and, and sell candy. So, you know what I'm saying? We just had a different type of chip on our shoulder. Um, and then, like I said, just making it out the city, period, man. Like, I got friends, like, literally, like, monthly that, that's dying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That throughout my career that we hooped together. Last week, one of my friends just got killed. Like, all, all the guys that I play with, um, like I said, that my neighborhood kept me away from, you know, them guys, they just fell into that, that trap. And when you talk about Baltimore basketball, the, the best players that come out of our city are those guys. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, we do have the Muggsies, Mello, Sam, like Sam Cassells, but, bro, we got a whole list of players who never touched professional basketball ever. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? You look at, like, Kill Carr right now. Mm-hmm. He's probably mm-hmm. the most popular player ever to come out the city. Like, mm-hmm. never, like, he played never the D-League, played. but never yeah. really played. You know what I'm saying? But if he go walk in any city right now, any day, he'll sell it out. Yeah, he shut it like, down. Anyway, <laughs> so that's that's like that's our city, bro. Like, and it's 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 good, but it's kind of bad. And I'm trying to change that mentality because people give more respect to you know what I'm saying street legends than they do the guys that's really putting in work. Right. And, and you know that's this is the argument we always have, um, and with this IG live stuff that was going on, it was it was a big thing because. Uh, you know what I'm saying, people who play in the streets, they don't like the pros to kind of talk down on them because mm-hmm. some of them might be better. You know what I'm saying? So from my perspective, I just try to give them the credit they deserve, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't talk down on nobody, but also I don't compare my situation with theirs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's strictly totally basketball. Different. Yeah, yeah totally like, different. I, I can't say, you know what I'm saying? I can't compare myself to somebody when I'm playing and, you know what I'm saying, winning championships. But also, if somebody in the streets playing one-on-one for money and they run in the streets, I'm not going to compare myself to them because they at the top of whatever they're doing. And I don't, you know what I'm saying? That's not my lane. So uh, that's our city, bro. It's competitive, but also it's the the, the hood politics. Um, You know, that's kind of the reason why a lot of people don't really come back home. Juan Dixon, I met randomly. I was on an AAU team with his cousins. Yeah. I met Juan like when he was a freshman at Maryland. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I ain't know nothing about him. And then literally right after I met him that next year, he started killing. <laughs> you know so and Juan was kinda like my build. I was always real skinny, you know, Juan mm-hmm. was skinny, yeah. but he could shoot it, you know what I'm saying? He was tough and mm-hmm. uh he went to the same high school my brother eventually went to. So, you know, him, uh Mo Hatton, Marcus Hatton. Forgot about Mo Marcus Hatton is probably like he's, he's another one, bro. He's a he's a he's a hood favorite, but he put in work overseas too. Yeah, uh, but that's one of my favorite players in the city, bro. Like and he's one of the guys I you know I have a good relationship with. Um, and then you know like Melo and Rudy, uh, Rudy Gay, like those two I think set the tone. Sam Cassell kind of said it earlier, but like with him and Muggsy, but I think for my generation it, it's Melo and Rudy. Mm-hmm. So they they the guys, you know, I talk to and I, I really look up to when they come to this basketball, especially uh in business. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's another avenue that I, I look up to those guys in too. 
Uh, so let's talk about your Virginia Tech days, man. Uh, you know, coming out of high school, I'm sure you had tons of schools on you. So who was recruiting you? And then what ultimately led you to signing with, uh, with Virginia Tech? Uh, it's a funny story, bro, because, like, I, I tell everybody now that this, uh, this shoe, um, all that shoe stuff happened with Andy Miller and those yeah. college coaches. Like, <laughs> uh, people don't understand how real this is, bro. So, <laughs> like I told y'all, bro, after after 15 under, when we went Nike, like, um, like Nike was, they was looking out for us, bro. We was like Nike elite. You know, we was getting all the shoes before they came out. Um, our high school team was Nike. Like we was, like I was Nike, bro. Like I, ain't, <laughs> I didn't want to wear, like, I didn't wear no Adidas, nothing, bro. So. Um, when I started getting recruited, bro, like any school that was Adidas, I didn't even open the mail. So Word. I, had, like, bro, I had like Kansas, Pitt, like even Virginia Tech used to be Adidas. I didn't even open Virginia Tech mail, bro, because they were Adidas. It's like if it wasn't Nike, Word. Nike Elite School, I didn't even pay attention. So I missed out on some good schools just because of my loyalty <laughs> to Nike, bro. Like people don't understand, bro, this issue thing. For me, bro, like growing up, now this sneakerhead thing is popular. But like, like I always been a shoe guy, so like yeah, I bro. felt like I felt like I had to be loyal to Nike, bro, because I was getting Jordans three weeks, four weeks before they came out. Right. You know what I'm saying? Me and Tay was hooping and everything. People trying to buy our shoes, like so. Uh, yeah, bro, like that was a big thing. So I, I canceled out all the Adidas, schools, bro. Like, um, so then it came down to. Virginia Tech went Nike, and literally, once I seen they went Nike, I watched them play. Bro, I, I, I started looking at VTech. Wake was my dream school. I wanted to go to Wake Forest. Uh, I was a big CP fan. Um, so, literally, Wake was my dream school, bro. If they would have offered me, I would have I would have committed um, mm -hmm. my sophomore year when I went on my unofficial. Uh, with Skip Prosser was there, um, and I went to my unofficial. They were playing VTech. And eighty Visayo and VTech had forty, and I started thinking, I'm like, hold up, like Greenberg over there letting people go. I'm like, level a bit. So that was the first time, bro. Like I went to that game, literally, bro. The, the coaches that were recruiting me from VTech, they watched me the whole game. Like mm -hmm. I'm in the stands on Wake side, they staring at me the whole time. As soon as the game over, they text me. You know what I'm saying? And and from that point, VTech beat Wake. Uh, Wake came to Baltimore to see me my junior year. Um, Skip Prosser came. The first half I had like two points. He called the guy that was recruiting me like, nah, this ain't the guy for it. Second half I had 27. And he called him back, was like, look, we need to get him back on a visit. But I started feeling like, you know what I'm saying, it was, that wasn't the right fit for me because yeah. uh, what he was doing. And eventually uh, Tim Fuller, who was recruiting me with CP's guy, he ended up leaving too because, you know, they wasn't really respecting, you know, his opinion. Okay. So, you know, Wake was my dream school. Didn't happen. Another one, Syracuse, they didn't recruit me. Uh, and we went to Syracuse my senior year. I wasn't signed yet. I was committed. But Syracuse used to do this thing with all their recruits where uh, every team, every, every team that the recruits played on, they would play in like a round robin. So we would match up with other Syracuse dudes. So we had to play Newman Goretti, which had Scoop Jackson, I mean, uh, yeah, Scoop Jardine and Rick Jackson. Yeah. 
Yep. So I went there, bro. I went crazy. Tay had three fouls the first five minutes of the game. So he had two points, three fouls. And he had to sit down. And I had like 32. And, and all the Syracuse like alumni I was calling why why we didn't sign Delaney. Like, like, and I, like, you know what I'm saying? I took, like I said, but we always took pride in that. Like, all right, they signed Scoop and Rick. Like, me and Tay better. Why would you sign Scoop and Rick? They play yeah. the same team, but they, you know what I'm saying? They not me and Tay. Right. So I, you know what I'm saying? My senior year, I proved, I just wanted to prove to people I was better than people, uh, than, than other people that they had ranked above me or schools I thought they went to that I wanted to go to. Like, I, I, I really took pride in trying to kill people. And literally, that was our senior year, bro. Like, um, so that that's kind of what took over my recruitment. But at the end of the day, like, when Greenberg told me we got Jamon Gordon and Xavier Dardell graduating, both all ACC guys, um, and you got minutes coming in as a freshman, that's all I needed to hear. You know what I'm saying? I wanted, I wanted to play against Maryland. Like, no, it's crazy because nobody from Baltimore ever wanted to go to Maryland, but. Juan Dixon and Keith Booth, like they never really recruited in Baltimore. Cause y'all don't so, want to stay home, right? That's part of the reason, right? But no, they didn't even really recruit us, bro. They told really? Tay he wasn't good enough. When me and Tay wanted to go to school together, he wasn't good enough to go to Maryland. And he blew up that next summer and went, you know what I'm saying? And committed to Syracuse early. That's crazy. Uh, they, but they, they missed they, out on like eight McDonald's All-Americans in two years. They usually they, re they recruit uh, D.C., though, but they don't recruit Baltimore. That's kind of crazy thing, bro. D.C. players don't want to go there either. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you got to yeah, think, yeah. In, in our class, in the class before mine, so it was me, Dante, Mike Beasley, Nolan Smith, Chris Wright, Austin Freeman, uh, Kevin Durant, Scotty mm -hmm. Reynolds, Kyle Lawson, uh uh, Grievous back. Well, they got Grievous. Um, yeah. Who else they have, bro? It, it was so many players, bro. Like, literally, it was like nine or ten players that they missed in two classes that, like, nobody just wanted yeah. to go there. So, um, you know what I'm saying? The opportunity at Virginia Tech and me being able to play against Maryland, Duke, Carolina, like, like I said, bro, I always wanted to play against people who I thought that everybody thought was better than me or they thought it was Virginia Tech wasn't a basketball school, so I wanted to go prove that I could beat Duke or Carolina mm. or Maryland. Like, you know what I'm saying? That, that's why I eventually went there, because of that. And that's kind of how it always been in my career, bro, since I was five years old. Anybody who they ever said was better than me, or, you know, once you get the year, or they make more money than you, or they got a bigger budget, like, all of that motivated me, bro. So that was the, the biggest thing me going to college. I talk talk about your 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 transition because I have been to Blacksburg, Virginia, and like like it's like it's nothing like it's it's literally like if you think of a college town, like it's literally like a like a and I went there and it was like school wasn't even in session. I went there in the summertime for something, and it was like literally it was like nobody there. So like coming from Baltimore and then going to Blacksburg, Virginia, like how difficult a transition was that for you? Um, I mean, was it a welcome transition? Like, was you looking for that? Or was it just like, you know I mean, just totally different? Because like, VTech, like, Blacksburg is all VTech. That's all really it is. That's it. Yeah, no city's close to it. But I think, um, so my, my freshman year in high school, I went to a boarding school. So I went, yeah. like I said, I was playing football. I went on a football scholarship. I was playing both, but like my school was like 26000 a year. 
uh, you know what I'm saying, it was a boarding school. It was 50 minutes from where I grew up at in, in the suburb in, in Baltimore. Uh, sports was, was high level. So that kind of, uh, it, it helped me mentally prepare for the rest of my career. And mm-hmm. that's one thing I appreciate about that school. And then, you know, I went to private school. Um, so when I grew up in elementary middle, I never went to school with white people. Like it was, it would be, you know, a couple here and there, but um, I wasn't around white people like that. In my neighborhood, we might have one or two white families, but they were like hood white families. It wasn't, no, <laughs> I wasn't even, used to, you know what I'm saying? I didn't know how to really interact with white people like that besides on sports. Yeah. So me going to Catholic school um, and private school kind of helped me out because when I got to Blacksburg, you know what I'm saying? It was nothing but sports. <laughs> Like sports in school and I think that helped me out too because I had my fun in college but if I was in Atlanta or like Florida I feel like I'd have too much fun so <laughs> uh, we, we had our fun but it limited that and you know it was able to keep me focused I was in the gym a lot uh so being in a college town man that's all you had and you know what I'm saying being in a college town kind of prepared me for Europe too because it's mm-hmm. exactly the same with and that's the only thing going on in the city in every school, 50 miles, 75 miles, close, everybody coming to our school, you know what I'm saying? We ain't have no, couldn't go to DC. Charlotte was two and a half hours. Like we literally had to be stuck at in Blacksburg. We couldn't go nowhere. Yeah. So it, it, was a, it, it wasn't that bad, but it definitely was a culture shock for me living, living in the mountains. I mean, freshman year, um, freshman year, sophomore year, you put up some big numbers and all that. And uh, you know, going into your junior year, you get uh unanimous first team, and then you led, led the ACC in scoring. But um, you decided to go into the NBA draft. Let's uh, talk about that process and all that. Going into my – like, sophomore year, I had a big year. So I went from averaging, like, 9 to 18, you know, freshman, sophomore year. So my sophomore year was really when I was like, all right, I'm going to take this serious. Like, when people was talking about putting shots up, like, if I had a bad game, I was going straight to the gym. My managers, they would leave like three, four bottles of water. I was in the gym. You know what I'm saying? So I, I felt like I was putting the work in and it was paying off for me. But once I, once I had some success in my, my sophomore year, I made like third team on ACC. I was like, nah, I need to get player of the year. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then the NBA became more realistic to me with uh, Visayo leaving. It was my team. Like I, I was 18 with him on the team. So I'm like, all right, well. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember this talk, bro. My brother was like, yo, I'm, like, he was like, uh, what's the easiest way for you to average 20? So I'm thinking about it. He was like, you got to think about different ways to score. He was like, you already averaged 18. He's like, what if you shoot four more free throws a game? So, you know what I'm saying? I started breaking it down with how can I get to the line? And people don't understand, like, I was shooting a lot of free throws, but I, I literally studied how to shoot more free throws. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was looking at different situations in the game. How can I get a foul? How can I do this? I'm setting a lot of screens. I know they're going to try to run me over. You know what I'm saying? I can just take a charge setting the screen for free throw. You know what I'm saying? Like, all big men trapping or hedging. So I'm working on this stuff in the gym by myself. Like, if he, I know he's what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. If he's showing, I see this, you know, in film, all I got to do is run at that top hip. If he's moving, it's a foul. Like, I'm literally studying mm-hmm. the art of drawing fouls. And so that was the difference between my sophomore and junior year where I was averaging, like I, I was averaging like 24 at one point. 
And I hurt my ankle uh, like that seventh or eighth game of the season. I, I had a grade two sprain and a bone bruise. I was supposed to be out four to six weeks, and I played in four days. Um, so I literally – I led the ACC in scoring hurt. And, like, I watched uh, – I think it was Wake Forest, bro, the other day. I was hooping with two ankle braces. I had both my ankles taped because I was compensating for my bad ankle. I sprained my other ankle, too. So I had to wear two – I had tape, two braces, and I had to wear shoes that was two – like a size and a half too big. And I led the ACC like that. And you look at the film, like, if I tell you now you see a game, you're like, damn, he really couldn't move. And that's why I really started drawing fouls, because I couldn't mm. move. You know what I'm saying? So I was shooting almost 11 free throws a game my mm. junior year in ACC. And people was like, oh, he, he – but they don't understand how I even scored that much, bro. And I was like – I was hurt. So when you talk about the, the draft, um, you know, I had to enter the draft after that. Uh, after that year, but I was getting the injections and all that for so long, but I went through withdrawal uh, with because of the medication. And once I put my name in a draft, I went and worked out in Portland. It was the first workout I had without any medicine or anything. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I was done working out, my ankle swelled up and I couldn't walk. So, you know, everybody was telling me, like, we got you early second round. You can play your way into the the first round with, with these draft workouts. And I seen the guys they had in my group. I knew I was better than them, but I couldn't work out. Dude. So it came down to the decision, do I want to risk this and go undrafted? And at this point, I wasn't thinking about overseas. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because I would, knowing what I know now, I would have stayed in, even though I was hurt, I would have stayed in the draft. Um, because one, it was the first year they changed the draft rule about early entries when uh, we only had two weeks to decide if we could leave. They, this the only, literally the only year they did this and they changed it back the year after. So I, I decided to come back to school. And another thing people don't know, my senior year, we was preseason number one in the ACC, uh, Virginia Tech. So, you know, we had everybody coming back. We had two transfers. Uh, so I'm like, all right, if I go back to school, it ain't going to hurt if we win it. Five people got hurt, season ended injuries. Right. So, like, three seniors, uh, a junior, we, we had transferred from Baltimore, Allen Chaney, came from Florida. Uh, and then we had a sophomore, big man, who got hurt. So, literally, five people was out for the season, my senior year. Uh, so, um, that draft process kind of helped and hurt a little bit because my decision to come back didn't end up being what it was. We still finished fourth in ACC, still didn't make the tournament. But, you know what I'm saying? Like I said, as a professional, knowing what I know now, I could have went to Shalom that year. Yeah, uh, you know, Marquez Haynes went there, and then the next year I eventually ended up signing there. So it would have been the same thing yeah. uh, just, just a, a year, year earlier. earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you talked about a little bit about, like, um, you know, you guys not making NCAA. And then also about, you know, you, you were first team all ACC, but do you think because Virginia Tech wasn't a blue blood school um, mm-hmm. that you guys didn't get the notoriety that you deserve, like getting the NCAA now or even you as far as like, you know, getting, you know, nat- more national attention because it was mm-hmm. a, a Virginia Tech's a, a football school. Do you think that that kind of hurt you guys a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I don't know, but uh, Greenberg got blackballed. It was yeah. something because like, we had historic seasons that never happened.
in ACC history. And we're yeah, literally, right. I went nine and seven twice in league, eight and eight and seven and nine. And we didn't make the tournament once. If if you go, if you went 500, if you went eight and eight in ACC, you got in. Like, yeah. every other. It's automatic. Sport, it's automatic. It's automatic. <laughs> Bro, we went nine and seven. And Derek, the team with Derek Favors at uh, Georgia Tech with Derek Favors and Shumpert, they went seven and nine and got in. Damn. And, we, and we swept them. We beat them both times. So it was like, you know what I'm saying, when people look back at that, and that's the only reason I think I didn't get drafted. Because if I would have played in a tournament at least one time, it would have put that stamp on my career where, okay, he did it in ACC, but now everybody gets to see it. Right. You know what I'm saying? I might get a matchup where, you know, I get to play against somebody that people didn't see me match up against. Right. And one big game, is, you know how the tournament goes. That's, that's the difference. Uh-huh. That could be the difference. So, so, yeah, bro, like we – I felt like we got blackballed. Same with me. Uh, I didn't get player of the year my junior year. They had co-players of the year. I think it was John Shire and Grievous. Neither one of them got unanimous first team or ACC. I was the only player to get unanimous first team, and I didn't get player of the year. Like, how is that How is that even possible? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it was stuff like that, bro. Like, it, it's, it's Policy. not possible. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, that stuff motivated me, bro. I never, like, I didn't even care about it because, like I said, bro, I was locked in so much. Um, and after that junior year, you know, I wanted to get healthy. I knew, you know what I'm saying, the lockout was coming the following year. But then everybody starts saying, okay, we know you can score. Let's show, show everybody you can play the point, lead the team. So my senior year, you know, I took less shots. I was more efficient. My, my average dropped, like, one point. And when it all came down to it, the word was like, oh, you should have just kept doing what you was doing. So, you know what I'm saying? I'm listening to people trying to be more efficient and show people that I can do different stuff, and it eventually hurt me. Um, and, and that's why Europe helped me, man, because I was able to play real basketball. Uh, and like, and another thing, bro, I did that. I led ACC in scoring with no pick and rolls. Like, we yeah, didn't straight, play high pick and roll. We straight did, ISO. Like, it was ISO coming off screens like I was shooting off screens like it was never high pick and roll no flat screens no nothing transition ball screens so when you look at basketball now like I would have easily averaged 25 like I could have led the country in scoring if I just had you know mm. a couple pick and rolls mm. um so like I said bro that's that's why Europe and I appreciate Europe because it put me in different positions it showed different aspects of my game that people didn't see Right, let's let's talk about the disappointment on draft night. I know you obviously felt, you know, and wanted to get drafted. Um, and then going overseas. And when did that come about? And when, when did you make that decision to go overseas? Yeah, so uh, my agent was – he was my advisor when I entered my junior year. So my whole senior year, he was preparing me for that summer. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was telling me, like, look, it's going to be a lockout. I want you to go overseas, you know, whether it's for two or three months. He was like, we don't know how long the lockdown might last, so you need to get a job to put some money in your pocket. I didn't have any money. So I knew my senior year, I knew I was going overseas. Like, mm-hmm. for how long, I, did, I didn't know. But I knew for a fact I was going overseas, whether I got drafted or not. Um, and going into pre-draft, I had 13 workouts. I had 12 great workouts. One, I did. I thought I didn't do good, and Minnesota said I I did really well against Isaiah Thomas. But when I say I was, like, when I killed pre-draft, like, it was bad. 
and like every time I went into a draft work, I was okay. They said he's going here, he's going this, and I was killing every guard that was in front of me. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought I, I made a good impression on everybody, uh, but when draft time came around, my agent told me, "Look, we got three teams." It was like Cleveland, Dallas, and San Antonio, something like that. He was like, they the three teams we looking at. They the three teams most interested. Dallas had three picks in the 50s. So I thought, you know what I'm saying? When I went to Dallas, it was me, Andrew Gowlock, uh, somebody else. And I destroyed, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, like Gowlock was the shooter. Yeah. He was the sleeper, but he was the shooter. So we doing the five spots, uh, NBA rings, the five – five uh, shots per spot, Gowlock come up, he hit 22, like 22 out of five. Nigga, I came up, I hit 24. I missed one shot. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, all right. And this was like, you know what I'm saying? I'm not hitting, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I can shoot, but I'm not, God, like Gowlock, that was, that was yeah. his special. Yeah. So we in that workout, I'm like, okay. I did. I don't know how I did it, but I go 24, 25. We play ones. I win every spot. Like I'm doing like, I'm just doing shit fucking around. Like, Dude. Like, I don't, I don't even know what I was doing, but I was just feeling myself to the point where, like, it was, like, my eighth workout, and I was so confident going against all the guards uh, that I just felt like couldn't know, especially when we got the ones. Like, when we got the ones, I'm like, okay, these dudes are shooters. You know what I'm saying? They known for doing this. Okay, they got a defender in my group. Like, I, I really wanted to prove myself in the ones. Um, and I stood out. So I thought Dallas was the spot. Like, they met with me after the workout. They're like, look, we got three picks. We really seriously looking at you at one of them. Cool. Draft night come, they traded all three picks in the 50s. Like, first round. So after they did that, I stopped watching. You know what I'm saying? Like, my agent was like, I didn't have a draft party. Like, none of that. My agent was like, look, uh, we got this deal in Shalom, which I had signed two weeks before the draft. Mm-hmm. He was like, I honestly, he was like, I don't want you to go second round where somebody holds your right. So if you don't get drafted, don't worry about it. Hey, it's better for like, you. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's something that a lot of people didn't understand. And of course, I wanted to get drafted, but I started thinking about long term. Like, all right, if I do get drafted, team I don't want to go to, they hold my rights for next summer, maybe the summer after. Like, you know what I'm saying? They might try to force me to go to certain teams overseas. Um, it became a mental game for me, and and my and this is why I appreciate my agent, man. He he really really taught me the game, the business side of it before uh, anything. So I understood all this clearly before the draft. So I wasn't as disappointed uh, as some people were who had agents lying to them, telling them they were going to get drafted, and, and people around them. I had the right people in my corner, so uh, it didn't really affect me that much. And I knew I was going to France to make some money, so. Uh, I wasn't really worried. So what was the, the biggest adjustment for you, you know, being there? And then did you did you know anything about overseas basketball? France was, was crazy, bro. Like, when I first signed that deal in Shalom, my first thought was, I'm about to go over here and find me a French wife. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was, I was, I was, I was thinking about the wrong stuff. I'm watching Rush Hour, these movies. I'm like, all right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm in Paris every night. Yeah, it's about to get fired. Look, I got off that flight, and and we got to that city. I had to fly into Paris, and then we drove, like, three or four hours to the city. So I'm like, all right, I'm thinking I'm going to be close to Paris. Yeah. Nah, we got, <laughs> we got in that town. Like literally, they dropped me off. So 
they gave me my apartment. They was like, tomorrow we're going to give you your car, whatever. So I had to go to the grocery store. Nobody spoke English. Like, and this is the first time, like, you know what I'm saying? I took Spanish in school. I knew, I knew the basics in Spanish, but French, I didn't know nothing. So I didn't know what milk to buy. Like, I didn't know the different meat, like from pork and turkey. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm just buying stuff. And uh, when they gave me my car the next day, they gave me this old stick shift, bro. Like, I never drove a stick before. They didn't explain to me how to drive it. They just Dude. gave me keys. So I'm, yeah, like, I'm in the parking lot stuck, bro. I don't know how to put the car in reverse. It's all about you got practice at 6 o'clock. Yeah, bro. I'm hitting, <laughs> Go ahead. Bro, I'm hitting the curb. Like, I'm just going forward, hitting the curb, hitting the curb. I'm like, yo, fuck it. I left it. I just, I left the car there. I'm like, yo. I was like, I don't know how to drive. So they had to teach me how to drive the stick. Um, like I said, nobody spoke English. Um, the only thing that saved me in France was we had a good team. You know, yeah. like I said, Marquez Haynes left. I was the only newcomer on the team. And this is, I was in like the best shape of my life. So when I went into camp, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't even pacing myself. Like we was doing like uh, all the drills we were doing. I was always first. We doing conditioning tests. I'm always first. Like I went in there like, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to come do this, prove myself and go back to the, to the league. You know what I'm saying? That was my mentality. And preseason, I was averaging like 27 in France. Blake, Blake Shield was hurt. And our point guard was with the French national team. So I was mm-hmm. pretty much by myself and I was cooking. Like, I'm like, man, it's about to be easy. So uh, I, I learned the politics of overseas once that happened. Like, literally, once the season started, our point guard came in the, he came in the locker room and drew a pyramid. And he, look, bro, this is the craziest story I ever had. So he drew, he drew a pyramid on the board, bro, on the dry erase board, and said he wrote hierarchy of our team on the pyramid. So the top of the pyramid, he was like Blake Shield. He was like Blake is Michael Jordan in France. You know what I'm saying? Like whenever Blake gets, whenever he needs the ball, we get it to him. Last second shot, we get a ball to Blake. Like. He's the main player on the team. Second, he wrote Steve, me. So I'm like, I'm like, yo, you think he's better than me, bro. I'm like, all right. And then third, he wrote, he said, Malcolm, I guess. Like, bro, I swear, like, I guess. <laughs> Malcolm, I guess. I'm like, bro. I'm like, all right. So now I see where the meeting was going. But, bro, he did one through 13. Like he wrote the last person on the pyramid on the team. Everything. Bro. <laughs> this, 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 the, this, this, the, this the first day he walking in, bro. Like bro, first day he walking in, like it was... fresh off, fresh off the national team. I think, I think uh, France had won the silver that year, and bro, he was on top of the world. So the meeting basically was about me. Like you know what I'm saying? I started seeing like, okay, he was like, yeah, cause we got players here who think they're going to lead the team in scoring, and I'm like. So our coach over there looking like, all right. So I'm like, yo, is y'all talking about me? He's like, no, nah, we speaking on the team. I'm like, all right. I said, listen, bro, like, I, I came over here to do my thing, help the team out. I'm trying to go back home next time. I don't care about being the top player on the team. You know what I'm saying? So that was my introduction to politics overseas. Like, we in practice. They speak in French. And then, you know, the young French players don't like the older guys, so they telling me everything they're saying. Uh, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, luckily that year we won the triple crown in, in France. 
And you know what I'm saying? That kind of set off my career. I'll talk about, I mean, now you go, you go to, I mean, Ukraine, you, you win the Ukraine Super Championship, and you go you first team all Euro Cup. Then you go to Byron, you know, I mean, you win another championship, finals MVP, season MVP. Um, your first three years in Europe, bro, it's like you won three titles. But not only did you win titles, besides the baby, the team in Ukraine, but it was like, like, these are all the teams, like, they first time winning. Like, the team in France, they first time winning. Mm-hmm. The team in Byron is their first time winning. So, you know, talk about, like, you know, what type of success, you know, what type of attention did you garner from that? Um, mm-hmm. And kind of, like, what kind of led to that success? You know, like, you know, did you, like, yeah. do you even realize it? Because I was, I was looking, I was like, yo, he literally won three championships in, like, three mm-hmm. years. Like, that, like the, that start of your career, like, that's crazy. Yep. And, uh, like I said, this all goes back to my childhood. Like, when I was picking, besides the Shalom uh, deal, um, after that point, I always wanted to go to a team where, you know, I can make something happen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When I went to Ukraine and Budavelnik, uh, Azimash and Donetsk was, was running, you know, BTB and uh, the Ukrainian League. Like, they had the most money. Um, you know, I could have went to Azimash, but that was the worst city in Europe. Um, I was always turning down money for situations. You know what I'm saying? I could have made more money, but I'm like, all right, if I go to this team and kill and lead them to whatever it it was, it's going to make me look better. So the Buda Veldin thing, we wasn't predicted to go nowhere in in Europe. Like, that was, like, that just just happened because me and Leo Lyons was hooping. You know what I'm saying? Like, we beat St. Petersburg when they had all the money. We pretty much... Uh, made them destroy that that Zenit with the that first Spart Spartak St. Petersburg. Yeah, like they they took all the money out of there after we beat them. They were supposed to go to the final four and we beat them. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And they was joking around. They we played a home and away. Uh, they beat us by like 13 at home, and we had to come back home. We ended up beating them by like 19 to 20. You know what I'm saying? So um, these were teams that wasn't predicted to do anything. Uh, and you know what I'm saying, just trying to trying to put that chip on my shoulder and that challenge to myself, especially going to Munich. When I went to Munich, you know, Bamberg was running Germany. Like yeah. you, you know, like yeah. Bamberg, Bamberg was running Germany. Like it was yeah. nine, like nine straight. And then you know, Alba had like a little team. Uh, but my agent was like, "Look, we got Bayern Munich. They're gonna be Euroleague." this is the first team you're going to be able to show you can play point guard. He's like, if you really want to get paid in Europe, you need to run the team. So I'm like, all right. So I took that challenge on myself. He was like, the coach going to be crazy. Uh, but if you get this stamp from a Serbian, like you can play for anybody. Yeah. So my whole goal going to Munich was, okay, I'm playing for a crazy coach. You know what I'm saying? Let me show that I can play for anybody, be coachable, uh, and then run the team. And, you know, we played Bamberg the first game of the season. It was crazy. And that's when the power shift happened. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. you know, all the media was there. We played them in Munich. It was like, okay, Bamberg just won. Uh, they've been running Germany. Now Munich got all the players from Alba. You know, I just signed there. Uh, you know, we had a, a Bryce Taylor. Like, it was a couple guys who came in, and it was like, okay, let's see who the best team is. And we beat Bamberg that first game. It kind of was like, all right, you know, Munich is the new team in Germany. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was only because of soccer at first. It was like, okay, yeah. they got money, but yeah. they never won nothing. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? I took that challenge that year to, one, prove I can play with all the top guards in EuroLeague, uh, and two, to try to get that first championship in Munich. And, 
you know, playing well in your league, uh, you know, it, it kind of it helped me out going into the German league because I was prepared for whatever when we came to those playoff series. And we had beat, uh, you know, Alba on the road. Uh, we closed it in Alba on the championship. Um, that stuff was kind of easy for me playing. You know, we had to play y'all. We had to play all these other teams in your league yeah. and put my first experience. So it was just kind of a tester for me. Well, what was your first impression of the Euro League? I know with Munich, that was your first, you know, taste of the, the that level of, of talent. Yeah. You know, just for the people who are familiar with the NBA only, just let them know, like, what Euro League is all about. First, my first Euro League game, well, to, all right, let's start off with preseason. When I got to Munich, we went 1-10 in, in preseason. Like, <laughs> we was getting smacked. We was playing Red Star. Like, so we was, it was bad. Like, so I'm like, when I got there, I'm like, ah, we got some names on here, but it ain't really, you know what I'm saying? It ain't really looking. And, and Coach was killing us. Like, he was running us. Like, you know what I'm saying? Everybody was tired. So people were like, Yo, how are we going to play a game with, with Coach running us like this, practices this hard? Like, we got two and a half hours, two practices every day, two and a half hours each. We watched an hour and hour and a half of film. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it was that part was the shock. And I think the first game we played in Poland, uh, I didn't really shoot the ball well. I think I had like ten points and like eight assists or something. Like I, I played a good floor game, but it wasn't like you know, I always try to play a good first game so I can kind of have something to 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 spark me uh and give me some momentum going into the that next round. So I didn't play well the first game to my standards. Second game, we played against Siena, and they had Daniel Hackett, uh, Kim English, Eric Green. Mm -hmm. um, so they had that team. And like I said, me and Kimmy went to, to school together. Eric was like my little bro at B-Tech. And we was talking before the game, and they was like, yo, Daniel Hackett is like, you know what I'm saying, Bobby Brown just left. Mm -hmm. Daniel Hackett is acting like he's, you know what I'm saying, this is when all the rumors was coming out. Hackett is the top guard. He's trying to get like this team would want to buy him out. Mm -hmm. They were like, bro, we, this this dude Hackett, he just doing too much, but in practice, he a superstar. Mm -hmm. So once again, like I went into that game like, all right, like Daniel Hackett. Like, you know what I'm saying? This guy's supposed to be the top guy. I didn't play well the first game. We back in Munich. And then they said something about I think Hack, I don't know if Hackett said it or somebody else was like, Yeah, he can't shoot, so go under. So I'm like, all right, I just went 0 for 4 the first game. Y'all think I can't shoot. So literally, I went to shoot around. My whole shoot around was like sit, like sitting behind screen shooting off pick and roll. Mm -hmm. And we started the game out. I started cooking early. Like Hackett was going under screens. I was just stopping behind the shoot. And like, I took a person, like this is my personal battle. I ain't care about the game. I'm like, <laughs> I gotta try to kill Daniel Hackett. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you know, we beat Sienna and that kind of got me rolling. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, but all it took was, oh, he can't shoot. I'm like, all right, hey. like, you know what I'm saying? Like, all right, this the best guy, this the best top guard in your league right now. All right, I knew Bobby, so I'm like, all right, he want to be Bobby. He want to do what Bobby did last year. I'm like, nah, we ain't about to have that. So, you know, that that was my first real Euro League experience. But once I seen, you know what I'm saying, once I started playing well there, it was over. Like, I, I just felt like, you know, I can get mine off whenever I can, but I was also helping our team, and you know what I'm saying? That's what eventually separated me. We got to talk about that. Uh, you put now leaving uh, Munich and then you go on to play for uh, Locomotive, and that team was stacked, man. It was you, Chris Singleton, Randolph, uh, me. 
another Baltimore native. You had Draper. Um, I mean, y'all had a squad, man. And you had uh, Coach Bar- Barduka, too. That uh, he's a, he's a, you know, a well, a well good coach, too. But let's talk about all that. And then that was your first year, you know, going to the Final Four. All right. So uh, when I was in Munich, uh, mind you, I was off the NBA. So probably in March, uh, Houston came with an offer. They was going I think Pat Beverly got hurt. And Houston came with an offer. They was going to give me a two-year deal for the rest of that season and the following season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they was going to buy me out. So uh, Munich turned it down. They didn't let me go. I didn't have a buyout in my contract. So I had to stay. So my mind shifted to NBA after that. So that summer uh, was LeBron's return back to Cleveland summer. So nobody was making moves until LeBron decided what he was going to do. And for me, it was like, all right, um, I had a goal financially that I wanted to get to by 25. And I'm like, all right, you know what I'm saying? This is my summer. My agent was like, look, we're going to have a tough decision. Either somebody going to offer you some, some big money in Europe or, you know what I'm saying, we're going to have an NBA deal. So, you know, once the season was over, I'm like, all right, NBA. I'm like, I don't care. I don't want to go back to Europe. I'm playing in the league. Uh, I think it was Olympiacos, Galatasaray, and Loco came. Uh, Gala was, uh, I think Adam was there. He wanted me to get a, a Turkish passport. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was me and Keith Langford. So they were like, we want both of y'all to come in, get the passport. I only entertained it because the Olympics was coming up. You know, I was like, all right, Turkey was in the group. Yeah, <laughs> Turkey was in the group with the USA. I'm like, oh, I can get a chance to go to the USA. So, uh, you know, I entertained it. And I actually, uh, I picked Galatasaray. You know, really? it was like, Loco was the most money. Gala was in the middle. Olympiacos was at the bottom. But I'm like, all right, I can go to Istanbul. The city is solid. Um, the money is good. Uh, so I decided, like, I agreed, verbally agreed to Galatasaray. Um, mm-hmm. And then two days later, they called me. It was like, uh, we got to have a meeting with the board. Um, we got to figure out something happened with soccer. We got to get some money. I called my agent. I said, nah. Like some don't yeah, see, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, uh, we have played Loco with Munich the year before, and they had a good crowd. The arena was solid. I'm like, all right, the weather nice here. It was like, we played them in, in, in like sex, top 16. I'm like, the weather's nice. It ain't no crazy Russian uh, weather. So, I was like, I actually probably could play here. And, you know, they was just good with Nick. They won Euro Cup. Yeah. Uh, so, my agent was like, look, Loco offering you the most money. You know what I'm saying? We can go sign a two-year. We'll get an NBA out. And then in two years, we'll revisit. Or if you play well this year, next summer, we might be looking at something else. So my first locomotive year, our team was actually better. Yeah, like, it I was agree. me, Derek Brown, like, yeah. Kruno, and Richard Hendricks, like, Mont- uh, Montes Kalinitis. Like, we had a – our squad was – Crazy for you. That was that was the so, year y'all uh, y'all won like twenty games in a row or something like bro, something like that. We, won, we broke the record. We won nineteen straight Euro Cup and then lost. Uh, it was crazy, bro. We we played Onyx in the top eight. Um, Keith Langford got hurt. We played him in Onyx, won by like eleven or twelve. Langford got hurt, but Derek Brown was hurt, and I think Randolph got hurt. So we mm-hmm. was playing without them two, but they didn't have Keith. You know, back then, like, without Langford, like, Onyx was nothing. Yeah, yeah. So 
we played them, bro, and they they went big. They played James White at the two, uh, Kamakalu at the three, and then they had two big men, and our coach wouldn't adjust. So all they did was post up the whole game. But James White had 30. Um, he had one three-point make. Like, <laughs> he had the best game, and they ended up beat. They, they killed us. Uh, and like, we broke the record for most wins in the season and didn't go – you know what I'm saying? We, we was a lot to win your cup that year. Uh, so, you know, that, that season was a disaster. But that summer, Atlanta called me. As soon as I got home, Atlanta called. My agent was like, look, the Hawks want to meet with you. Uh, go down there for a week, work out with the coaches, you know, have some interviews, and, you know, say something might happen. So I came, I came down to Atlanta, worked out. They was telling me what they wanted to do in the draft. They was like, look, we want to bring in a guard that's versatile. You know, we got two guards that kind of do the same thing with Schroeder and T, uh, and we need somebody to kind of change the pace. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, cool. Um, worked out for them. The draft came. They wanted to trade. I forgot who they wanted to trade, um, but it didn't happen. So I knew everybody they was going to draft. I knew the trades they was making when they got Tim Hardaway back. Like, they told me everything. And, you know, my out clause in my contract was, like, July 20th or something. And we couldn't get the deal done before July 20th. Mm-hmm. So I had to go back to Loco that second year. And, you know, I was, I was off it. Like, as soon as I had that taste of, like, NBA, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm my age. And I'm like, yo, there ain't nothing else we could do. Like, so uh, Loco, uh, Barzokas came to Loco. So they was like, oh, they're going to sign Barzokas. He called me. He was like, look, I've been wanting to coach you for four years. I'm building a team around you. We're going to bring in Chris Singleton. Uh, we're going to bring in this and that. Ryan broke off. I'm like, all right. So the day I get to Russia, bro, we have a meeting. And they was like, oh, we cutting the budget. We can't pay you. Uh, if you can find another team to pay you the same contract, we'll let you go. So I'm like, yo, I just had an NBA deal that – all y'all had to do to say this summer was hey, say right, before. We can, yeah, we can waive we can waive that option. Like literally, bro, it was so many things that kept me away from the NBA. Like it was crazy. And uh so that happened and Barzokas called me. I had a deal with Shanghai. I was gonna go to mm-hmm. China and they was gonna give me more money. These were um the Rockets people. Uh and they told Shanghai to take me in for the year and you know what I'm saying I was gonna come back home. Bro, we had the contract again. Barzokas called me at like 6.30 in the morning. And he was like, yo, like, I heard you want to leave. And I'm like, nah, like, who told you that? I'm like, they didn't tell you what the situation was? He was like, nah, what happened? I was like, they told me that I, I should leave because they can't pay me. And he was like, nah. He was like, give me two or three hours. Don't make any decisions. Don't sign a contract. He was like, just give me three hours and then I'll call you. And he called me back. was like, yo, I told him that if you leave, I'm leaving. And they came up with the money. It was like, all right, well. <laughs> I'm out of here. But Joker's real for that, man. That's, bro, that's, bro. Like, <laughs> and that's when I gained respect for him, bro. Like, he really built that team around my skill set. He trusted in everything I could do. And then, you know, he really genuinely wanted me to succeed. Uh, and then once he did that, bros, and, and told him that he would leave, if I leave, I, I had ultimate respect for him. So yeah. that, that kind of set the tone for our season. Yeah, hey, I mean, talk talk about like y'all, because y'all were like one of the first teams at that time that went five out. Because y'all had Chris, y'all had Anthony, 
Yeah, yourself. Yeah, like you said, yeah, broke off. It was yeah. like, it was like, it was so talk about like, oh man, yeah. it was uh, we and initially like nobody really believed that what we was doing. Cause I think our our first group, bro, we was predicted for. Yeah, I remember. and um, so we was playing one through five. We switching everything on defense, uh, and we was pick and roll. We we was just playing free, bro. It was, it was just it was fun to play that way, but. So we start winning the first couple games. I think Panthinaikos was the game. We played Panthinaikos at home, and they was predicted to be like second in the group or whatever. And we like we made it look easy. So everybody was like, "Oh, this locomotive team don't play defense." Just because we were switching, like everybody was knocking what we was doing. Mm-hmm. And then by the top sixteen, it was like, "Okay, we finished our top sixteen group in first. So then everybody was like, ah, well, they might be playing defense. We had the number one defense after that. And they was like, ah, it's a little different, but, you know, they getting it done. Like, they didn't want to give us credit. It was like, this is not the typical European style. You know, we don't know if they're really playing defense, but you had, like, Singleton, Randolph. Like, we had guys who really could defend. And it was was just awkward for teams. So, literally, up until we played John in the Final Four, bro, nobody knew what to do with our – Mm-hmm. with our system but y'all had a good coach so mm-hmm. when y'all countered it with pretty much the same thing <laughs> yeah. bro we didn't know like we didn't know what to do like literally bro like we like we practice against this every day but we expected y'all to play a certain way and it was I'm like damn bro they just flipped everything like yeah. he, we ain't had no answer bro because it's crazy though because he, he had that bro. in his he had that in his back pocket like he like Yo. he was like all right we played y'all four times all right we played y'all in BCB and I was BCB. So he was like, all right. He was like, you know what? If we play them in the final four, I know what we're going to do. But he mm-hmm. didn't want to show it in the BCB. So he was like, all right, yeah. and we're going to wait. And then that, that game, but he told us that morning to shoot around. He was like, yeah, Nikita is going to play. Uh, I think I started off from broke off. I was playing at three. And he was like, mm-hmm. Nikita, you're going to play uh, Chris or or, uh, or Anthony. Yeah, and bro. That switch crazy. everything. Um, Oh, and then y'all started out 10 on them. Like, yeah. like, hold up. <laughs> so, brother, and this is the crazy, this is the crazy thing about Loco. But we did not watch, we did not study game film on people. Like, uh-huh. we literally, when they, when we say we had our system and that was it, that was it, bro. If we watch film, it might be on us, but we never, like, broke down what y'all do. Like, and it helped us, but it hurt us in the final four. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because, but like you said, y'all switched it up, bro, and we was beating y'all BTB. Like, we always, like, BTB was crazy. We like, oh, we got Seska. Like, right. we got, you know what I'm saying? We we got the answer for Seska. Nope, switched it up on it. But, uh, yeah, bro, like, I think um, we just proved something that year, and then everybody after that year went on to sign, you know, good contracts with, with better teams. Um, yeah. And it just, it just wasn't right because they didn't have the money, you know what I'm saying, to do anything else in loco. And you know what I'm saying, they eventually, you know what I'm saying, you see what happened after that. But uh that was a fun year, man. And that group of guys, it was tough, man. That him putting that team together and then signing like Matt Jan and Late yeah. was a great was a great addition to us. And that whole vibe of that year was, was solid, bro. Y'all y'all like literally like changed the style of like European basketball low key. Cause like now you see everybody's kind of having like that the pick and pop forward or now they playing mm-hmm. the pick and pop five. And I think I was I was you know telling somebody before it was like yo Euroleague doesn't give you guys enough credit like as far as like that that season like that right. season like to be a wild card team and to get all the way to the final four like 
your right. league, your league should be like focusing more on that season and we'll focus on more what y'all did because and then look at all the players that came from it. Like you said, broke off once the NBA. Jenin is a Euro a Euro league player. Chris, so on and so on. You, Randolph, like they don't give, like they don't give you they don't give you guys enough credit for that. Like it's almost like all. they like they didn't want it to happen and it's like they don't even talk about it. And the fact we beat Barcelona, like, you know what I'm saying? Beat Barcelona in the game five, like yeah. pretty much like, you know what I'm saying? That was pretty much Navarro's last big year. You know what I'm saying? Like it was a lot that went into that year. We definitely don't get credit for it. Um, but like I said, I think everybody ate off that season. Like yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like it, it was it was crazy with, with how that momentum shifted and what everybody else did in their careers. So it was it was dope, man. It helped us all out. You definitely got to talk about, um, you know, just the whole atmosphere for the for the ones that don't know about, you know, the Euro League and playing in the Final Four. You got to talk about that atmosphere and what it's like. I know you played on the big stage before, mm-hmm. but let's talk about that stage, man. Yeah, the, the Final Four was crazy, bro. Like, and you know, I had Draper on my team, so Draper was in Madrid before, uh, and me and Draper, like, bro, we argued for like three years. We always had this debate. He's like, yo. Need to go to Madrid. I'm like, man, look, I don't need to go to Madrid. Like, I can beat, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can beat Madrid. Like, Drake will tell you, bro. Like, we always had this debate, bro. Even that local, he, because Drake called me, he was like, yo, I feel like you're going to have a good season. You're going to put two more years on my career. He's like, I'm going to just come in. He was like, I know you're going to have a big year. And then, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to go off what you do. So that was the plan, bro. And then we ended up playing together. But, bro, every time we traveled, he's like, yo, Madrid is the it's just like the NBA. I'm like, look, bro, ain't nothing like the NBA. NBA is different. Like, don't compare Madrid. You know what I'm saying? I always was on the opposite side. I'm like, bro, I don't care how good y'all had it at Madrid. It ain't the NBA. He's like, look, listen, bro, if you can get to Madrid, I'm like, nah, man. Like, I want to beat them. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when I was in Munich, we beat Madrid. When they was on that 27, 28-game uh, winning streak that year, we beat them. And I'm like, yo, I don't care. And that this is my mentality from when I was a kid. Like, I don't care about Madrid, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a big name, but what's, what happens when I beat Madrid? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm in Loco now, we got Barcelona to go to the Final Four. What happens when we beat Barcelona? You know what I'm saying? When Loco beat Barcelona. So, going into that Final Four, bro, it was like, I heard the stories, but once I got into like that first media shoot around, you know, everybody was there, and you know what I'm saying? You get to the game, and you got four different fan sections, and you know what I'm saying? We playing against a team that's probably, you know what I'm saying, supposed to win EuroLeague. It was different, bro. Like, But for me, it was also a stage um, because when we got to the Final Four, I knew I was going to the NBA after. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I was, we was meeting. I had a, a big deal in China. Um, there's a couple NBA teams that, you know, wanted, to, wanted me to verbally agree to deals, you know, before we played y'all. So I already knew, like, after this, what was going to happen. But I didn't get to prove myself on that stage yet. So my mentality again, so, all right, we got Seska, Nicolo, you know, just got MVP, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I made first team, but you know what I'm saying? I want to play. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I want people to see me and Decolo. Yeah, and, go back and back. You know what I'm saying? I, I want to see that on the final four actually. So, you know, we lost to y'all, but I had a good game. And then once people seen me play good against y'all, it was like, all right, like, this season was crazy, but he's really proven that, you know what I'm saying, he played with everybody. And then the game against uh, Mike James and Darius, it was kind of like, all right, nobody want to play for third place. But yeah. I'm 
mentality was like, I'm going to the NBA after this. I want to have a good showing, you know, my final game. You know, I want to win. I want to have a good game. So I ended up playing well and we ended up winning. Uh, but I already knew after that, you know, we, we forfeited BTB. We basically, like, <laughs> <laughs> I went right back yeah. to the crib. Wow. They, uh, they, they, niggas was tight, man. I ain't a lot of you. Niggas was tight. <laughs> I never do that, bro. Like, that's crazy. That, uh, people always talk about, like, yo, we, you know what I'm saying? I think every team has had this conversation, like, man, we tired of this, man. We trying to, yeah. you know what I'm saying? You, you talk about it, but it's like, all right, when the coach say, look, I actually so went through it. Yeah, he, said, Yo, what, he said, what do y'all think about, uh, you know what I'm saying, resting, getting ready for the Final Four? And we was like, what you mean? Like, we ain't trying to win. Like, we ain't trying to beat Kempe. He's like, he's like, we beat Kempe. Like, literally, the, the BTB going to start right after Final Four or whatever he said. He was like, I'd rather just play Final Four because Barzokas did not respect BTB League. Like, yeah, bro, he did He did not care. He cared about EuroLeague. So, yeah, when we got that, but we looked at each other, we like, we're going to be home before Memorial? I'm like, all right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that gave us another incentive in the Final Four. Like, all right, we got two games left, bro. Like, yeah. they got to go back and play BTB. We going home. They was like, like, I remember, I remember, like they was like they was in Cheska. They was like they disrespecting the game. Like they was hot. Like, <laughs> Russian players was tight. They watched that game. They was like, "What is yo. this?" <laughs> yo, it was crazy, bro. And, and the craziest part about it was that game, that first game in, in Kimki, I didn't play. Randolph didn't play. Draper didn't play. Bro, we was up by twenty at halftime. So yeah, y'all could have won. Y'all could have won the game. Yeah, I'm like, yo, I'm looking at, I'm like, yo, what are y'all doing, bro? We giving y'all the game. And then uh, him and Sved actually, they ended up, you know, putting something together, and they ended up beating us by like three. I'm like, yo, we gave y'all the game, and y'all still, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, y'all still trying to lose it. So, uh, yeah, bro, we was freed up. Like, Final Four was more fun for us, bro. Like, we didn't have pressure. Um, we did feel confident going against y'all, but. We knew, like, you know, some teams are built for Final Fours. Like, mm-hmm. y'all, like, you know, Seska was one of the teams, no matter what happened, y'all always was in position to win. Like, every year, you, you look at a couple teams knowing they got a, the opportunity to win it. So, we didn't have pressure, man. We was just – we was playing freely. Over. We knew we was going home. So, you know what I'm saying? We were celebrating that season because we already mm-hmm. did more than what people expected us to do anyway. And then, you know, we had players who had already kind of agreed to deals. Um, you know, I was going home. I knew Atlanta promised me in like January that they would have a roster spot for me, and they would, you know, what I'm saying when draft came around, they would they would do some things to, to make sure it was good for me in free agency. So I knew what I was going to do that next year. So I just, I just wanted to give a, a good showing on my way out. Uh, you talk about you knew what was going to happen, but what was that moment like? You know, actually signing that contract, signing the dotted line, and finally being in the league after five years in Europe. Uh, to be honest, bro, like it's, it's crazy because when uh when I tell the story, like people think like I would have been like crying, like bro, like it did not register. Like I did, like it felt like it kind of felt like it was normal. It was like yo, like I'm supposed to be here. It was like a, a normal free agent signing for me. Like if I would have yeah. signed a deal in Europe, it was like, all right. This is just the next chapter of my career. So, uh, like I said, bro, when I knew it was a couple teams that was offering me deals. Um, 
a lot of teams wanted me to take minimum. I'm like, nah. Me and my agent was like, look, we ain't chasing the NBA. If they coming at the U, it's gonna have to be a legit deal. Um, I had a big offer from Barcelona, three year. Uh, Memphis came in. With, you know, I had a lot of big offers. So, literally, I was in Miami. Uh, me, two of my friends, we was in Miami chilling. I'm asleep. My free agency opened up. My agent called me. It was like 6:30, 7 in the morning. So when he called me, I'm like, oh, this the this the first call free agency. Somebody, you know what I'm saying? Something gonna happen. So he called me, he's like, look, we got um San Antonio, they offering minimum, we got this team offering minimum, we got Houston, who has they offered me the biggest deal, but they told me I wouldn't play my first year. Uh in my second year, you know, I would get more of an opportunity to play. So they didn't know if I wanted to do that. Then he said Atlanta came in with two year deal. Uh they gave me your a possible three year or two years, two different contracts. So they was like, what you want to do? So I'm like, all right, two years, I can go in and prove myself and then be free, you know? Uh, yeah, when I'm, I don't want to lock in three years at the same money. Um, so I took the two year and I told them they had to give me a little bit more money each year. So I was like, look, I got this offer here. I don't want to take less. I'm already taking a pay cut to go to the NBA. You know what I'm saying? At least you got to match this European offer. So they were like, all right, call back. It was done. So agent called, was like, look, uh, we agreed to it, whatever, whatever. Tell your family. So, you know, my friends was in, in the in the condo. I just put it in the group chat, like, yo, sign with well, I just committed to signing with, with the Hawks. So they start wild. Like <laughs> they going crazy. They running my room. But I really wasn't like, I wasn't even smiling. Like, I just felt like, literally, I'm like, yo, I did so much to get here. Dude, and like, I just signed, you know what I'm saying? And then it just felt normal. Like, you know what I'm saying? I didn't, I was about to be 27, like a 27-year-old rookie. I was 26. I'm like, like, this just felt normal for me, bro. And, like, it, it never really hit me, bro, until I stepped on the floor for that first preseason game. Because I just felt like, even in training camp, I'm like, man, I belong here. You know what I'm saying? Like, when I went there, Dennis, it was going to be Dennis' team, and the coach was like, your, your, your matchup is Dennis. I want, I want you to guard nobody else. Dennis was the fastest guy, one of the fastest in the NBA. So he didn't know that I could compete with Dennis, but this was another thing where it was like, all right, Dennis is the fastest guy in the NBA. So, or one of them. If I can stay in front of Dennis, like, Same I man. know I can hold, you know what I'm saying? So it was a different challenge. I went from being a scorer and the lead guy to, all right, I need to prove that I can set the tone on defense. I can run the team. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that's that's really when it hit me, bro. Like, I, I really did not, like, really celebrate it until, you know what I'm saying, I really started playing. Now, we I don't want to get too much into the incident with your brother. Um, mm -hmm. But first of all, like, talk just talk about, you know, how he's doing now. Um, you mm -hmm. know, obviously, you know what I mean, talk about like, his status now. Um, talk about, you know, like you, you talked about a little bit earlier, but like, you know, what he meant to you. And then just personally, I just want to know, like, you know, like you said, like you, you just celebrated, you know, one of your, the biggest achievements in your career. Yep. And then like, you didn't necessarily have the opportunity to like, you know, kind of celebrate the right way. So talk about, yep. you know, the big thing, like, you know, how did you get over that, like that mental part mm -hmm. of like, you know, having to go through that with your brother, but then still having to go out on the court and then, and having to perform and, you know, from that opportunity. Yeah, so that was crazy, bro. So uh, like you said, so I I signed, I actually signed the contract in LA. So I was in yeah. LA, I went to P3 in Santa Barbara. 
Uh, and I was at P3 to do some testing, went to LA, met with the Hawks, and I signed in LA and flew straight home to Baltimore. That day, I was having like a dinner with my family, you know what I'm saying, just celebrating mm-hmm. whatever happened. And then that night, um, I was taking my friends out. So all this stuff mm-hmm. happened the day after, you know what I'm saying, I signed my contract. So literally, it went from like celebrating with my people to like that. So that kind of, um, that was another reason why I couldn't really enjoy it, bro. Like my first year, like mentally, I wasn't like, you know what I'm saying? I was, basketball was my only outlet. So, you know what I'm saying? Like dealing with that, especially like, so I signed, I was supposed to be getting ready for like, I wasn't going to play summer league, but you know, I was was supposed to be with the team training and, and luckily the Hawks did not, you know what I'm saying? I, I appreciate the Hawks for helping out with that. They were like, look, just stay home with your family. They were sending uh, coaches to come work me out. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, I was in the hospital all day. So I would go, the morning I would wake up, I would, uh, I would work out. They had somebody come in town, I would work out for two hours at Bowie State, and then I would go straight to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I'm saying? My brother wasn't conscious for like, uh, probably like the first week and a half. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't, he wasn't doing anything. So everybody was at the hospital the first week and a half um, trying to figure out the situation. Um, and then I had to go, I want to say to either Atlanta. I came to Atlanta to do something with the team. And as soon as I came to Atlanta, my brother got transferred to another hospital. And as soon as he got to the other hospital, he started like communicating. Like, he woke mm-hmm. up. So the, the first hospital he was at wasn't the best one, but you know what I'm saying? They had they saved his life, so I appreciate, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. that hospital. But that wasn't a hospital for that type of situation. We just mm-hmm. so happened to be uh, two miles from a hospital, and we had to pull up at that hospital when it happened. Mm-hmm. So once he got transferred over and he started, like, being more active, he, he could talk a little bit, then I was like, all right, cool. I can, like, you know what I'm saying? I, it, it relieved a little bit of stress off me, and I could get back to influencing my life, whether it was music, like the sneakers, like everything he, all the trends that he followed, you know, I followed what he did. And that was the main person that kept me out of the street. So, you know, our, our whole dream was to NBA, he was football player. So one of us got to go somewhere in NBA, NFL, like, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I wasn't able to share that with him. And that was the biggest thing my first season, you know what I'm saying? I didn't want to go out. So I'm thinking, like, you know, my brother went to school for business management. Like, this is supposed to be, like, a, a family thing. Like, you know what I'm yeah. saying? He's supposed to be involved in everything I'm doing. So I didn't want to – I wasn't going out, bro. I wasn't, like – I wasn't talking to people. Like, I'm – it was like – you know what I'm saying? I was just thinking about, all right, he can't watch me play. He can't like, – everything I did was, like, you know, I couldn't share that moment with my brother. So uh, that kind of affected me until he could come to the game. And he came to the game when we played the Wizards. And that was the first time he got to see me play. And then after that, you know, it kind of got back to normal. But it took almost a whole season, bro, uh, mentally just to, to get adjusted to him not being around and, you know, being able to do as much and, you know what I'm saying, just seeing his situation uh, because he's paralyzed from, like, the chest down. Mm-hmm. Like, seeing him from where he was until, you know what I'm saying, stuff that he couldn't do. So it was uh, – it, it definitely impacted me a lot, bro. But it, it also motivated me because now it was like, now I got to do something for both of us. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, it kind of helped me out after that. But my first year, I struggled, bro. And, you know, people don't know. I had to, like, I got subpoenaed to go speak in front of a grand jury uh, during the playoffs. 
you know what I'm saying? We go play the Wizards. I get served papers to, to go serve on the grand jury. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it wasn't even nothing. The police did nothing with that situation. So they were just throwing me and stuff. Uh, you know what I'm saying? That I, I didn't have no clue about almost a year later uh, while I'm in the middle of the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? So I couldn't even enjoy that season. So, you know, once I got out of my first year, bro, it was so much of a relief to be done with all that stuff and, mm-hmm. and be able to just get back to what I love to do. It was a, it was, it was a blessing. What, what was your mindset on the court, you know, as far as, you know, uh, buying into that backup role? You know, you was the man overseas buying into that backup role, and it will ultimately led you to make that decision to come back overseas? I knew my situation, bro. Like, one, one thing about me and my career, I've always been realistic. I don't, like, you know what I'm saying? Some people are unrealistic with what they can do, what they can bring to a team, what their role is on a team. I knew going into the NBA that, especially my first year, I was going to back up a young point guard. And looking back, I wish, like, you know what I'm saying? If I had to do it over again, I probably wouldn't have signed with Atlanta. Because mm-hmm. I, I think I would have been better on a team like San Antonio where it was a vet guard that wasn't playing 34, 35 minutes. And, you know, I could actually, you know, do some, do more than what I did. I think when I signed with Atlanta, I thought they were running a Spurs-style offense, a lot of ball movement, everybody get touches. And it kind of turned into, like, you know, Dennis was the guy. He ran all the pick and rolls. Um once I got in, it was kind of – it was crazy because my first year, the starting five always would be losing mm-hmm. when we got in the game. And we had one of the best benches in the league. So, every game it was like, all right, but we on the bench. Like, look, we got to pick it up for the starters. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was our job. Okay. And we all had, like – it was three of us that had top 15-plus minuses going into all-star break. Uh, so, my role was fine. You know, I didn't mind it. Uh, I didn't have any pressure again. I could just help the team out. I proved that, you know what I'm saying, I can get other people around me better. I probably could have been more aggressive, but that what they didn't ask me to do that. And, you know, that's another thing that you learn in the NBA. Like, you don't – you can't be that guy who just does what they ask you to do. You kind of got to ignore it and, and just play. My mentality wasn't where I needed it to be, but they told me I was playing good. So, you know what I'm saying, I, I – I was cool, and uh, eventually um, they brought in uh, Jose Calderon, uh, which he didn't play the whole season. And they was like, all right, we want to bring in a vet for the playoffs. And I'm like, all right, cool. They was like, y'all going to play for the backup spot because we didn't have a third point guard. So they mm-hmm. said, all right, for the next two weeks, y'all going to compete for the backup role going into the playoffs. Once again, we get in practice, I was killing him, like, it wasn't even like it wasn't even close, bro. Like, cause he, he you know, Jose was older and right. he didn't play the whole season. I was mm-hmm. a tip top, and you know what I'm saying. I was good. And once I seen an older guy in front of me, I'm like, you're definitely not gonna take my spot. <laughs> so, bro, I was like, literally everything we did, I was killing them. Um, literally, I didn't know I wasn't playing until I played like 50 games straight, and then the media was like, so how do you feel about? Um, but saying that he's going to give Jose four games and then he'll give you four games. I'm like, I ain't hear nothing about that. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, the media told me first. And then he called me into the office like, look, you know, we didn't have a third point guard. I want to give Jose an opportunity. So, for the next four games, I'm going to play Jose. And then four games after that, I'm going to play you. Again, I play solid four games. They decided to go with Jose for the playoffs. So, I'm like, all right. 
We got the Wizards, guard-heavy team. Why would you play Jose Calderon to match up with Brandon Jennings? You know what I'm saying? This is when, like, I'm like, okay, do we want to win? Or, like, what are we doing? Brandon Dennis had the best – like, he didn't play well the whole year with them. Playoffs came around. Him, Bill, and John Wall went crazy. Like, bro, Bill and John Wall was averaging, like, 30 apiece. And then Jennings was averaging, like, 10 and, like, 7. Mm-hmm. So, I'm like, bro, like, I'm just sitting over there. And this was, like, if I was younger, it probably would have broke me. But I understood what the business – like, the business mm-hmm. side of it was. And I'm like, okay, whatever. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to win. I know I can help us win, but – it's out of my hands, so I, I just let it go, bro. Um, and going into my second year, they told me they wanted me to get back to being me. They want me to shoot more threes. Mind you, I was top five in the league and pull up and pull up two pointers. Mm-hmm. I was top five. They told me we don't want you to shoot pull ups. We want you to shoot more threes. I'm like, all right, cool. Everybody got equal opportunity to play. Like, it's no set. Dennis is the only player with a set. Uh, with, a, with a set minutes and he gonna do what he do he was the franchise guy he just signed his extension he was like besides Dennis everybody else it's fair game so once again I go into that summer and this is the best shape I've ever been in I've been in the gym like you know NBA some players take time off I didn't take any time off like we went mm-hmm. to Miami for like a weekend and then we got right in the gym so one-on-ones killing like pick up, I'm killing. Now I'm shooting threes. I'm comfortable. I don't have to look over my shoulder. You know what I'm saying? I'm going into it confident. And preseason, I was averaging 26 minutes a game. I was averaging like 11 and like five assists. So I'm like, all right, this contract year, I got an opportunity right now. Like for sure, I'm good. First game of the season, they played me 10 minutes. So I'm like. <laughs> like so I'm wilding, bro. Like literally, I'm arguing with this sister guy I work out with because the one thing about the league, bro, you know what you know what you're gonna play. Like before the game, yeah. you know when you coming in, when you going out. Special situation, fourth quarter, or maybe in a game, it might change. But they literally, it's a, on the sheet. You know exactly what time you check in with. You know what I'm saying? You know. Mm-hmm. So. I'm thinking, you know what I'm saying, whole preseason, 26 minutes, 25 minutes. They start playing D-League players the first game of the season. And this <laughs> is when the whole tanking stuff, where it's real at, bro. Like, yeah. So I get in the game, bro, my first stand, I'm two for three. I'm one for one from three, shoot a pull-up, had two assists and one turnover. First stint, I'm good. My second stint come up, he called Josh Majette. So I'm like, all right, something ain't right. So yeah. second half come around, same thing happened. So I'm in a, I'm in a, uh, the huddle. I'm like, yo, like, what's going on? My assistant was like, yo, I don't know. Like, you was on the depth chart. Like, you know what I'm saying? This, uh, he was like, I don't know nothing about this. I'm like, bro, I just bust my ass for the whole summer. Like, bro, I stayed here. I didn't work out with my trainers. Like, I paid my trainers a whole bunch of money to train with them the whole summer. My boys ended up working out. So I didn't do it. But I'm like, bro, I did everything y'all asked me to do. I'm in great shape, like all this, and then y'all not gonna play me. So I call my agent. I'm like, look, something ain't right, bro. Like, you gotta to get me out of here. And he was like, uh, you know, it's a y'all got a five game road trip to start the season.